All the latest business news from WA, delivered daily. At close of business, news briefing. Good afternoon and welcome to the At Close of Business podcast. I'm Isabel Vieira with your Monday afternoon headlines. The half a billion dollar under construction East Rockingham Waste to Energy Facility will power part of the Greenbush's lithium operation under a deal with Talison Lithium. The global lithium producer finalised a power purchase deal with the $511 million Waste to Energy operation to provide power to the southwest lithium mine, Business News can reveal. Although Talison remained tight-lipped of the details on the deal, it's understood the power purchase agreement is within the 23 to 25 megawatt range. The East Rockingham Waste Energy Facility was pegged for completion in the first half of 2023 under its fixed-price contract valued at $511 million with Asiona. It's now reportedly expected to open in the first quarter of 2024. The long-delayed project is designed to process 300,000 tonnes of residual waste per year at the 10-hectare Rockingham Industry Zone site. For the full article, visit businessnews.com.au. In other news, Fortescue's multi-billion dollar renewable energy hub in the Pilbara has been shelved as the miner insists it will meet bold decarbonisation targets by 2030. The proposal would see a solar farm and 340 wind turbines built on the Andrew Forest-owned Uraru and Emu Creek stations near Onslow. The project would have produced up to 5.4 gigawatts of power to decarbonise Fortescue's Iliwana mining hub 220 kilometres inland. But in an Environmental Protection Authority note published in the past few days, it was revealed that Fortescue had terminated its application. A Fortescue spokesperson said Uraru was still part of the company's project pipeline. And lastly, Western Australia's environmental watchdog has waved through a new irrigation project at one of billionaire Kerry Stokes' Kimberley Pastoral Stations. The Napier Downs irrigation project would see four centre pivots installed over 160 hectares to grow fodder crops for the Stokes pastoral portfolio, which includes Mount House and Leopold Downs. In deciding not to assess the project, the Environmental Protection Authority Chairman Matthew Tonts said environmental impacts were expected to be manageable. The EPA approval is is now subject to a three-week appeals process. Napier Downs lease was purchased by Mr Stokes' private investment vehicle Australian Capital Equity in 2015 in a deal rumoured to be worth about $25 million. That's all from me. Up next on the podcast, Jack McGinn and Tom Zonmeyer discuss a veteran of Perth's craft brewing scene. Stay on top of the latest news stories that are impacting your business, industry or sector. The New Look Business News app gives subscribers breaking news alerts, access to editions, articles by category, as well as our advanced data and insight search function to find projects, people and companies. It's your mobile portal to the latest intelligence on commerce, politics and industry, wherever you are. Stay informed at critical times and download today. Visit businessnews.com.au forward slash app. Download on the App Store or get it on Google Play now. Welcome back to At Close of Business. I'm Jack McGinn. Today I'm joined by Tom Zommeyer. Tom, how are you? Uh, pretty good. Yourself? I'm um, really well, thanks, mate. So, Tom, uh, people may not know John Stallwood by name, but if they live in Western Australia and enjoy a beer, there's a fair chance they'd be at least somewhat familiar with his work. So, John is the founder of Nail Brewing Company, which is a stalwart of the craft beer scene here in WA. 
and you caught up with him for the most recent edition of Business News. What prompted this story? Uh, so he's actually just um, well, a few months ago now, he's been awarded a Life Achievement Award by the craft beer industry, which is, I know a lot of industries do this kind of things, but it's pretty significant for that industry in particular, given there's only three other brewers that have been awarded that. Wow. Two of whom happen to be in WA, you know, you know, like being a bit parochial and pointing out that we're pretty good at these kind of things. Sense a bit of pride there. Yeah. 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 So uh, he was, he's um, been given that accolade and, um, you know, pretty had to chat to him he was pretty proud of that you know pretty honored to receive it you know really uh, a good off with the cap for him for his work in helping to really establish industry not just in WA but over east as well because of course WA was really the first to push it mm. and um, it's um, really spread out across the nation now. So tell me a bit about that that nail brewing story how did it all start? Uh, well it started like a lot of uh, people who get into brewing is uh, he um, him and some of his mates bought a home brew kit for one of their friends for their birthday right the friend tried it, didn't like it, so handballed it back and uh, John uh, had a crack at it and got into it and found he really liked it. So um, he uh, eventually you know, built this up into a kind of business. He managed to get um, a site underneath the old Bobby Dazzler's pub, which is now Chanel. Oh, of course. Yeah, a bit of a change. Uh, <laughs> so he was brewing the uh, early iterations of Nail Ale underneath, um, uh, it's, yeah, underneath that building across the road from the underground train station. Of course, the train station wasn't there at that time. For a few years, um, getting that product out and getting up and really, yeah, that was the genesis of Nail Ale, which was the first, well, one of the first real craft beers in Western Australia, back before craft beer was really a term, of course. Back then it was called boutique beer. Boutique beer. So in your opinion, I mean, how, how important is, it, is the work of people like John to the, the craft beer scene that we know today in WA? Oh, hugely. Um, you know, talk to other brewers around him. They, they'll all talk about him, you know, not only in kind of being the one, one of the few alongside, you know, like your little creatures and your gauge roads and your um, bootleg down in Margaret River who were really helping to set it up in the early days. But also he started um, kind of a support group, a lobby group, if you will, for craft brewers to help more people get into the industry. He's done some work out at ECU over the years where other brewers are able to come in and um, work with him while he was also brewing um, his own product out there. Mm. Um, and I guess his story has really run in parallel to the craft beer industry because, of course, he made Nail Ale. It was a craft beer at the time. It had a very long run to the point where it became seen as mainstream by the craft beer drinkers who, who it had attracted to the scene. So now he's had to kind of evolve, change his products, change his lineups, move to some new facilities, upgrade um, to the point now where he's out at Myrie um, in a new facility there, um, brewing what is now his core range of the uh, VPA and the MVP and trying to bring on a few special funky kind of things in as well, which is what we all love at the moment. So look, we've seen that narrative of craft brewers over the years having their businesses bought out by some major operators in the industry. Uh, did John have much to say about sort of that consolidation trend in the field? Um, he did, and it's something that's really close to him because uh, Brendan Varris, very well known in the craft beer scene, he set up Feral Brewing and actually, as an aside, helped John install his brewery underneath Bobby Dazzler's. Right, there you go. Um, back when they were mates. Mm. Well, obviously still mates, but when they first met. Um, so Feral started a few years after Nail. Um, but Feral was a very high-profile buyout a few years back by Coca-Cola Amatel. And um, the, some people in the scene, they can be very 
parochial about it, so they got pretty angry at Feral over that. You know, Feral consistently being ranked among the top beers in Australia. Yep. So to see it go into the major's hands was a bit of a blow to the scene, but it also put a lot of money in Brendan and his crew's pockets. And, you know, um, I guess that's the thing that John points out is like there is probably no one who, given the opportunity to make 20 years worth of wage in one day, would turn that down, right? So um, as he said, like if something like that was offered to him, he'd probably take it. Um, Not that he doesn't have any kind of, yeah, he's not actively pursuing it. Um, he's very keen to keep it in his hands, but if some, if an opportunity like that were presented, yeah, I think he's of the mindset that, you yeah, why wouldn't you take that opportunity to set yourself and your family up for life? Of course. I think sometimes that sort of scrutiny that comes with those sorts of decisions comes without people really putting themselves in the shoes of the person who's just been offered the life-changing money. Yes. So. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's a good point. Tom, it's a really great read. Our listeners can find it online or in the most recent edition of Business News. Thanks so much for joining me today and sharing your insights. Have a good day. You too. The latest business news delivered daily. Subscribe and rate the show wherever you listen to your podcasts. For all the latest business news, visit businessnews.com.au.